hi, and welcome back, everybody. My name is Andy Jensen. I'm a chief resident at UCLA in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery, as well as the past chair of the AOS Resident Assembly. You're listening to JOS Unplugged, the Yellow Journals podcast. Today, we have a really special episode. We'll be focusing on the gender gap in orthopedics. To that end, we'll be reviewing two research articles from the July 15, 2019 issue of Yellow Journal, the first of which addresses the perception of pregnancy and parenthood among female orthopedic surgery residents, and the second of which addresses inappropriate questions asked of female orthopedic surgery applicants. In the second half of today's podcast, I'll have the honor of interviewing Dr. Chrissy Weber, who is current president of AOS, as well as Dr. Elena Munger, who, along with her co-authors, wrote an excellent research article in the April 15, 2019 issue of Yellow Journal. Dr. Munger's article investigated the relationship between the number of female orthopedic surgery faculty members and the number of female orthopedic surgery applicants from the same medical school, and had some pretty surprising findings that we'll talk about. Additionally, the three of us discuss the current status of the gender gap in orthopedic surgery and things we can do, both big and small, to address this gender inequality. So with that, let's get into the two research articles. Women make up about 50% of medical students in the United States, but they make up just 14.8% of orthopedic surgery residents as of 2015. Many studies in the past have been undertaken to address why this discrepancy may exist. Given that residency often coincides with reproductive years, Dr. Mulcahy and her colleagues wanted to investigate whether the perception of pregnancy and parenthood amongst female residents contributed to this discrepancy of female versus male orthopedic residents. Via the AAOS Diversity Advisory Board, the author sent an anonymous 24-question online survey to all 596 female orthopedic surgery residents in the country. Of the respondents, the authors found that 84% did not have kids during residency or were not currently pregnant themselves. Nearly half of the respondents to the study said that they deferred having children specifically because they were in residency. 77% of respondents said that either their residency did not have a formal parental leave policy or, if it did have one, they were not aware of it. Sadly, 60% of respondents stated that they had experienced firsthand bias from their co-residents about having children during residency, and 50% stated that they had experienced similar bias by their faculty members. The authors concluded that bias against women having children during residency is a significant issue for orthopedic residents and may in fact contribute to the orthopedic gender gap. They recommended that residency programs can make their female orthopedic trainees aware of existing paternal leave resources, expand the number of such resources, and combat biases against pregnancy by both residents and faculty members to create an environment more welcoming to women are considering pregnancy. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits employers from making employment decisions on the basis of sex, race, color, religion, and national origin. And further, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act prohibits discrimination on the basis of pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions. Because of these laws, interviewers asking applicants questions related to marital status, family planning, pregnancy, and other related topics have previously been used as evidence to support legal discrimination claims. Therefore, the NRMP's Match Communication Code of Conduct prohibits interviewers from asking about, quote, age, sex, religion, sexual orientation, and family status. Despite all this, 
there is still significant concern that female orthopedic surgery applicants are routinely faced with inappropriate questions during interviews for orthopedic surgery residency. Therefore, Dr. Bowl and colleagues sent an online electronic survey to all female orthopedic surgeons with an email address in the AAOS database. They received 488 responses from women who had interviewed for orthopedic surgery residency between the years 1971 up until 2015. 62% of respondents stated that they were indeed asked inappropriate questions during their interview. Unfortunately, there was no significant decrease over time from 1971 to 2015 in the proportion of women who were asked these questions during their interview. However, the percentage of women prior to their interview who were informed of what did in fact constitute an inappropriate question did in fact increase over time from just 28% of women who interviewed in the 1970s up to 71% of women who interviewed in the 2010s. The themes of the inappropriate questions most frequently had to do with pregnancy. Most commonly was questions about raising children during residency at 38%, about marital status at 32%, and about pregnancy during residency at 30%. Of those women who were asked inappropriate questions during their interview, just 1.4% ultimately reported the inappropriate questioning. These findings demonstrate that inappropriate questions, which are legally banned according to Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, as well as the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, are widespread during orthopedic surgery residency interviews. The authors conclude that it is the responsibility of those interviewing to be aware of this issue and to be in compliance with national legal guidelines. All right, guys, so with that, I'd like to welcome Drs. Christy Weber and Elena Munger to the conversation portion of the podcast today. Thank you both for coming on, joining me today. Of course. Thank you. So, Dr. Weber, you are the Chief of Orthopedic Oncology Service at UPenn, I understand. And, of course, you're the current president of Academy, the first female president in its 86-year history. Do you mind, for the listeners, telling us a little bit about your training background and so your path, about how you got where you are now? Sure. My training background in orthopedics, I started in medical school at Johns Hopkins Medical School, and I matched into an orthopedic residency at the University of Iowa. At the University of Iowa, I became interested in orthopedic oncology due to both the patient population and wonderful mentors. And I did an orthopedic oncology two-year fellowship at the Mayo Clinic, one year of research and one year of clinical work. I then took a job at University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center, where I was on the faculty there for five years and had a large clinical practice and also worked in science as well, related to bone metastasis and osteosarcoma. I was recruited to Johns Hopkins in 2003, and I spent 10 years at Johns Hopkins also as an orthopedic oncology faculty doing both clinical and research work. And most recently, I moved to the University of Pennsylvania in 2013, where I have leadership roles in the department and in the sarcoma program, as well as my national work. Thank you. That's amazing. I think we just missed each other by a year. UPenn was my med school alma mater, but unfortunately did not get to work together. My loss. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Dr. Munger, so I understand you're a second year resident at Yale. Where's your training background? So I went to medical school at the University of Southern California in beautiful Los Angeles. So this is my first trip on the East Coast, which has been very interesting as I originally came from Hawaii. So this was officially my first winter. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I love the faculty here and the residents here. So I'm really, really enjoying my time here. 
Excellent. Well, as a UCLA graduate, I think I'm contractually obligated not to say anything good about USC, but you have a wonderful training background. <laughs> I played soccer at UCLA, so I'm always a UCLA Bruins fan. Awesome. Glad to hear it. So today, of course, we're going to be talking about the gender gap in orthopedic surgery. And what I thought we could do is first, Dr. Munger, you and your co-authors wrote a research article that was published in Yellow Journal in the April 15, 2019 issue. So I'd like to talk to you about that research article and what your findings were, and then kind of use that as a diving board to discuss, more generally speaking, the sort of overarching issue of gender inequality in orthopedic representation. So with that, Dr. Munger, your research article, which was titled Revisiting the Gender Gap in Orthopedic Surgery, Investigating the Relationship Between Orthopedic Surgery Female Faculty and Female Residency Applicants. Do you mind telling the listeners what the objective of conducting this study was for you? Of course. When I first became interested in orthopedic surgery, what I really noticed was that a lot of my, you know, the residents, the attendings were always saying, oh, it's so great to have a woman going into orthopedics. And I found this rather odd. I didn't really understand why they kept saying these things. And I think I did some research and kind of realized that orthopedic surgery was literally one of the least gender diverse fields in medicine. And in doing a literature review, something that was very much emphasized in the literature was the lack of female role models. And a lot of emphasis was placed on this relationship of the female mentor to the female medical student. And I wanted to investigate a way to objectively study this. So using the AAMC, which has two different databases, they have a database that keeps track of all the female applicants going into or applying to orthopedic surgery. And they also have a database that contains the faculty roster, meaning all of the orthopedic surgery faculty at these medical schools. And so our research project sought to see if there was an association between the number of female applicants applying to orthopedic surgery and the percentage of female attendings in the Department of Orthopedics from that same medical school. And what were the findings of your study? So we found that women accounted for 48% of the medical school graduates, so almost half of the medical school graduates. And yet women represented 14.9% of the orthopedic surgery applicants and 13.2% of the full-time orthopedic surgery faculty. We did note that there was an increase in the actual percentage of female residency applicants. We examined a nine-year time period from 2005 to the 2006 academic year, all the way through the 2013-2014 academic year. And we did see an increase in the percentage of female residency applicants. However, in our study, we did not find any correlation between the average number of female orthopedic surgery faculty at the institution and the total number of female orthopedic surgery applicants from that institution during the study period. Were you surprised by the finding? Is this kind of what you anticipated or this take you off guard? In retrospect, I think it was rather shocking because in the literature, everybody talked about this, the importance of the female role model, all these sorts of things. And I think that there are certainly definitely limitations 
that need to be taken into account when we kind of look at these studies. And there is actually most recently an article in JBJS that one of my mentors here, Dr. Mary O'Connor, was the senior author on that actually did show a relationship between the 2015 to 2017 years. I need to take a look at the methods of you know what they did, but I think they also use the AMC database as well. But I think that the most profound takeaways for me was that it's not just the representation of women in leadership positions. I think that it's one thing to have women in these leadership positions, but what's more important is what they're able to do. And so I think that the idea of mentorship and how are women trained to be mentors? Do we have education programs to be able to teach each other mentorship principles and how we can recruit women into this field. I think for me, that was one takeaway. And I also think it's kind of important to realize that if we are solely looking at other women to recruit women into the field, we're limiting ourselves in terms of the number of mentors that we can have. And rather than focusing on you know, the gender of the mentor, why not focus on those mentors that create that environment that recruits these women? And it doesn't matter what the gender of the mentor is. Rather, it's the mentors that are able to educate and inspire both male and female medical students into the field that we all know and love. So I think those, for me, were the two takeaways. Excellent. So, Dr. Weber, you've been through this process first, you know, as an applicant and then as a faculty member as well. Do these findings that the number of female applicants is lowest in orthopedics amongst all surgical fields is increasing very slowly, slower than other fields, and that kind of most surprisingly that there's no correlation between number of female faculty members at a medical school and the number of female applicants to orthopedic surgery. Do these findings surprise you? Well, I appreciated the opportunity to read Dr. Munger's article and congratulate her on the publication with her team. You know, I think it's multifactorial. You know, we don't have one easy answer to the problem of orthopedic surgery being the lowest in medicine for women in the field percentage-wise. So, yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised that there wasn't a correlation. Just as Dr. Munger said, other articles have shown that correlation. Role modeling is certainly important. It's one of the factors, I think. You can't be what you can't see. So you have to be able to see women being successful in a field, I think, for at least some women. That's really a real inspiring thing. But I also agree that we don't have to be mentored by the same sex. And I didn't have really women mentors when I was going through orthopedics. And I found wonderful male mentors in my residency and my fellowship and throughout my career. So I agree. It doesn't have to be just women that are doing the mentoring. But basically, people have to be willing to embrace the idea of gender diversity. And this is a field that's 93 to 94 percent male. And I think when you have that significant of a disparity, people get used to sort of being around the people that they're around. There has to be an intentional effort to recruit women into the field so that those percentages change and the conversation changes at the table. We know that 30% is a bit of a tipping point where the conversation changes. And once you have that minority group at that 30% level, things change. At Penn here, we have 30% women in our program, and I think it's different than when I started when there was a lower percentage. Dr. Weber, being a leader yourself of AOS and the House of Orthopedics, how do you think that we get there 
kind of culturally within the field to, you know, this 30% tipping point where there's more widespread, I don't know if acceptance is the right word, but just kind of understanding of the importance of gender diversity. Do you think this is more able to be addressed kind of on the big picture, 30,000 foot arena via institutions like Academy and the medical schools themselves? Or is it more a small picture, individual interactions, individual mentorship opportunities, would you say? Well, I think you've hit it on the head. It's going to be multiple ways. There's not going to be one way and there has to be advancement on multiple fronts. So I think there are structural barriers that we have to combat and then there are individual interactions and culture. So I think from the big picture, you look at the AAOS and what the AAOS can do. We just came up with a new five-year strategic plan and I'm pleased to say that diversity made it into that plan. We're very focused on what we want to do in the next five years. So there was certainly a possibility that diversity wouldn't have been something we were going to focus on. But one of our three goals is to evolve the culture and the governance of the Academy's board and volunteer structure to become more strategic, innovative, and diverse. And so the Academy took the position that we can't really make an effect in five years on the 39,000 members that the Academy has and changing that six to 7% number. That's not going to, that's, that's a denominator issue. Not only are we going to have to have large numbers of women entering the pipeline, we've got to get some people out of the pipeline on the other end for the denominator and the numerator to make a difference in that percentage. So what the academy can do is to work with our own leadership, committees, councils, board members, and have a different look to those structures. So we can have our academy leadership mirror more of what we'd like to see in the field. And we just approved a five-year plan to do so. So we're going to be rolling out that very discreet effort to have more women and underrepresented minorities, qualified women and underrepresented minorities in the leadership. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. I'm very glad to see those progressive changes being undertaken on the academy level. Dr. Munger, having just recently gone through the application process yourself, where do you think in the pipeline female applicants or potential applicants, I guess I should say, should be, I guess, targeted to increase their interest in orthopedics? Because the sort of natural progression, of course, is students go to high school and then university and then medical school. And up through there, it's about equal numbers in terms of gender. But from medical school to residency, there's a significant drop off in the relative percentages of male and female applicants. So do we target women in high school or university or sometime, you know, early or late years of medical school? I think the answer to your question is all of the above. I think that the interest of women in orthopedic surgery is certainly lower than our male colleagues. And I think that one of the most important things that we can do is to expose people and young women to the field of orthopedic surgery and kind of realize that it's not this homogeneous population of surgeons. And I think that what a lot of young women don't understand is that they have this perception of what is, you know, the typical orthopod, you know, bicep curling, muscle milk drinking, those sorts of things. But I think that you also kind of need to take a step back and realize there's general orthopedists and there are also eight different subspecialties within the field. And I think that women are represented in each of these different eight subspecialties and not one orthopod is similar from a hand surgeon versus a general orthopedist. And I think that it's important to be able to target all women and there are various initiatives that are already out there. When you talk about the Perry Initiative, 
and the efforts that they have done and studies have shown that the Perry Initiative helps to increase female student interest in orthopedic surgery. And with regard to both women as well as underrepresented minority, you have to talk about the nth dimensions and the great work that that program has done to increase the interest in orthopedic surgery. So I think that there are certain initiatives out there, but I think that there's definitely more that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. I like that in terms of changing the kind of orthopod stereotype understanding, maybe on a multi-tiered way, so not just medical students, but also younger female students who are maybe interested in medicine and eventually orthopedics. I found one of the studies you referenced in your study really interesting as the Hill study, where they said that males were more likely to have made the decision to enter orthopedics prior to the third year clinical rotations of medical school versus females who were more likely to determine that they wanted to go into orthopedic surgery during the actual electives. It's kind of interesting in terms of how the genders may be approaching the decision and what to subspecialize in so slightly differently. And I also think it's important to kind of understand the implications of that because of the fact that orthopedic surgery is becoming more and more competitive. And everyone has those classic stories of hearing these absolutely phenomenal students who don't match. And it's becoming more and more competitive. And so if a female student does not become interested in until later in her career, that is a disadvantage because she does not have as many contacts. She does not have as many research publications and she doesn't maybe have as much information on to which sub eyes she should be going on. So I think that it doesn't set women up for success. And so I definitely think that if they're you know, increasing the interest in the younger age groups, I definitely think is something that we need to be looking at. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I just wanted to add on to Dr. Munger's comment. I agree that exposing women earlier through the Perry Initiative, through Nth Dimensions, any other way that's possible is really important. Get people excited about the opportunities and the various different subspecialty options and lifestyles that can be available with this field. We talk about that all the time. But I must say, and I don't want to be a downer here, but if you get people excited about the field and they get into medical school, or even if they decide late and they get into an operating room and there's inappropriate commentary or jokes, or there's disrespectful comments, or there's just a general vibe of a little bit of more of a locker room or bro culture, I think that you know people now, both men and women in medical school that I've seen, say, you know what? I think I'm gonna do a different type of surgery. Because, you know, we could say it's lifestyle or this or that, women don't wanna be surgeons, but when you look at the numbers for plastic surgery, otolaryngology, even neurosurgery and urology, the numbers are higher. So it's not a surgical problem as much as it's an orthopedic problem. We have to ask whether that's that we don't teach enough orthopedics in medical school or this or that. But I mean, are there really otolaryngology pipelines in the high school? I don't know. But I think we have to take a really hard look at the culture that we create. And until, in my opinion, we can say recruit more women or minorities and that will change the culture. But I would submit to you that we need to change the culture in order to recruit more women and minorities. Absolutely. That leads perfectly into my next question, Dr. Weber, which is just that, just like you're saying, you know, this is an extremely complex issue with multiple initiatives and solutions. But one of the things... Just to echo your point that I absolutely do not want to miss is our day-to-day -day 
on the ground interpersonal interactions that may be dissuading young medical students from applying to orthopedics. So Dr. Weber, what sort of advice would you give both for men and women who are currently in orthopedics who may be working with young medical students? What things they may be doing consciously or unconsciously, otherwise well-meaning people that may be dissuading young female medical students in particular from entering our field? It's a good question. I think we have to be aware of our biases and that's all of us, not just men. And I think that we have to, we, we may or may not be able to change our sort of set biases, our unconscious biases, but we can be aware of them and we can note that and we can uh, be conscious of that when we're working with individual people and we can challenge our own assumptions and we can look at something from another person's perspective. I think we get busy and I think we forget to think about what it might be like for someone different, what their response might be to a particular conversation, what their background might be. And so I think we have to become a little more curious. And if, if we're in a majority, whether that's a Caucasian majority, a male majority, we have to see the people that are outside that majority. And we have to try and understand what their viewpoint is. And that's, you know, the basis of empathy, right? Compassion, empathy, and really taking the time to consider another person's perspective. And I think it starts at that level. I love that. Being more curious, empathetic, understanding of different people from different backgrounds, hopefully can help us all improve the house of orthopedics. And if you think about specifics, you ask about specifics, and I think so much of it is unconscious. I think the explicit bias, there's so much less of that than when I was training 20 years ago. And I think a lot of times people don't even realize that what they might be doing or saying might not be appreciated by everyone in the room. And so, you know, we talk about asking medical students during interviews, are you planning to start a family? That may be sort of innocent, but it's not appropriate. If you're not asking everyone that question, it's just an inappropriate question anyway. You know, calling people sweetie or sugar or honey, I don't care if you're from the South or wherever, those are disrespectful names for women. It sort of disempowers them, I think. And if the residents are going to go out to strip clubs or if the graduation outings are all going to be golf related, I just think we have to think about, it's not that golf is a bad thing. I play golf, but it's not inclusive. So being more inclusive so that everybody can participate. Having maternity leave and lactation policies or parental leave is probably the better way to say it so that everybody has those opportunities. I think, you know, I think women and men look at that now when they look at fields, when they look at training, when they look at a culture of a particular program. So I think we have to get better at this. Absolutely. And I think just like you've been saying, Dr. Weber, being aware of your unconscious biases and really addressing them and thinking about them critically and how can I as a, you know, in my case, a man in orthopedics, but anyone, you know, how can I be better and more inclusive and more empathetic is just extremely important. So, Luckily, the younger men, the men in residency and young practicing surgeons, I think have a completely different view than folks that are maybe 20, 30 years older. I think men in residency now, they grew up with women in residency in many programs. And so I think it's a completely different viewpoint and it's one that's quite welcome. Yeah, hopefully we'll continue to see progressive change, closing of this gender gap, and more and more women applying to orthopedics because it is the best field in all of medicine, so uh, both for our patients and, f- and for their benefit. Okay, guys, well, I really appreciate your time today. I think we've had a wonderful conversation. I've learned a ton. Before I let you guys go, I ask all of my guests on the podcast for one take-home point. So, Dr. Munger, maybe I'll start with you. What is one take-home point that you'd like the listeners 
to remember from today's conversation? I think that a lot of the time we talk about gender diversity and it's something that I think is becoming more and more prevalent in the discussions that we have at conferences and in the discussions that you know we read in journal articles. And I think that for both women and men of orthopedic surgery, conversations are great, but actions are so much better. And we can talk about these issues, we can talk about these problems that we have, but talking about it doesn't make change. And I think that whether you are a woman of ortho or a man of ortho, is this if this is something that is important to you, if this is something that you know you think should be better, then act on that. And I think that feeling inspired means nothing unless you actually act inspired. Awesome. Action over conversation. And Dr. Weber, how about you? Any parting words of wisdom for our listeners today? I'm just going to add on to Dr. Munger's comment and just give some specific homework. So once a day, listeners to this podcast should consider another person's perspective and challenge your assumptions. Now, if you can do that once a day in all aspects of your life, I think it'll be a bigger world. Perfect. Well, thank you both again for today. This has been an excellent conversation. I just want to say to both of you, you know, Dr. Wagner via your research and Dr. Weber via your, you know, historic role in academy leadership. I just want to commend both of you for taking action over conversation, like Dr. Munger might say, and really impacting the orthopedic gender gap. Thank you for having us. Thank you as well. Before we conclude today, I just want to take a minute to shout out a few organizations and resources that are available for women interested in orthopedic surgery. The first is the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. This society was founded in 1983. It's named after the first female orthopedic surgeon in America, Dr. Ruth Jackson. The Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society has over 600 members. It has a focus on female mentorship within orthopedics. There's also grants and scholarships that are available. It has a large presence within AOS as well. You can find more information about the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society at www.rjos.org. And in particular, they publish a guidebook titled The Guide for Women in Orthopedic Surgery that you can find information on via their website. The second organization to know is the Perry Initiative. This organization has been around since 2009 and really focuses on encouraging women to enter the fields of orthopedics and engineering. They hold hands-on outreach programs throughout the country focusing on women students in high school, college, and medical school to improve the early exposure to orthopedics and engineering. Their website is www.periinitiative.org. On their website, if you check out their calendar of events, you can see upcoming hands-on sessions that might be near you. And lastly, Dr. Munger from today's conversation is actually starting a podcast of her own along with some of the other folks at Yale Medical School. The name of the podcast is called She Can Fix It, and it's going to be comprised of interviews with female orthopedic surgeons. It's going to be released the first and third Wednesdays of every month beginning on August 7th. So you can find them now on Instagram and Twitter at the handle at She Can Fix It Pod, and certainly look out for the release of their upcoming podcast on August 7th. Okay, guys, so that will do it for today's episode of JS Unplugged, brought to you by the AOS Resident Assembly. I want to sincerely thank both Dr. Elena Munger and Dr. Christy Weber for joining me today, for sharing their experience and viewpoints on the gender gap in orthopedic surgery. You can read Dr. Munger's article in the April 15, 2019 edition of JOS 
Additionally, you can check out the two research articles from today's podcast in the July 15, 2019 issue of JOS. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. We'd really appreciate it. You can also subscribe on your podcast player. We're available on iTunes as well as Spotify and Google Play. And with that, I'm Andy Jensen, and I'll see you next time.